Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Right Way Podcast. And oh my God, do we have like an absolute treat for you on this episode with our super, super special guest, Dr. Tara Swart, a neuroscientist, medical doctor, executive advisor, and senior lecturer. And Rhea and I just freaked out for an hour. Um, Beyond. I could have literally talked to her all day long. And for listeners who aren't familiar with her, you will totally be after this hour, but she frequents another podcast that I listen to. There is um, a woman named Lacey Phillips, and if people are kind of in like the holistic space or manifestation space, she's very popular in that um kind of genre of podcast, but Lacey Phillips has a company called To Be Magnetic, which is based on manifestation. It's science-backed manifestation. And she has a podcast called The Expanded Podcast. And in this last year, they had brought in Dr. Tara Swart as a neuroscientist. She's retooled kind of all of their deep imaginings or kind of the meditations, the deep dive work. And I've been listening to Dr. Tara for the past year. She's been a voice in my ear. I think just the way she approaches um, manifestation and the law of attraction in general is so amazing. And so kind of, it's kind of like a renewed, um, look on how to manifest, you know, beyond just like trying to manifest materialistic things. And before all of that, before I even really listened to her, I got her book, The Source, um, which is called, you know, The Source, Open Your Mind, Change Your Life. And it really like combines neuroscience with the law of attraction to truly manifest everything that you want. And in this episode, though she is a neuroscientist, she takes a deep dive into how she manifested not only her book book deal, but like <laughs> selling her book in 36 territories, uh, which is unheard of. Um, and it's just such a like deliciously positive, amazing conversation that goes a little bit beyond, you know, writing and publishing. But we talk about how to use this mindset and how to use your brain to really harness what it is you want in your we life. We also tap in a little bit into how to maintain these kind of practices and maybe even apply it to your writing practices during uh, this last year, during COVID, and how to give yourself kind of a break. So we assure you that you're going to feel real warm and fuzzy after you listen to this episode. Absolutely. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to Right Way, a podcast where we give you insight to make informed decisions about your writing career. I'm your host, Rhea Fry, multi-published author and CEO and founder of Right Way. And I'm Joe Tower, writer, media producer, and Right Way's executive editor. On this podcast, Rhea and I will take an inside look at the publishing industry with honest and straightforward shop talk. So when you do get published, you'll know exactly what to do the right way. Okay, Dr. Tara, <laughs> first of all, I have to say, I kind of feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. It's so surreal because I do listen to you all the time on the Expanded Podcast. I loved your book, The Source. I've been familiar with your work. And I just first want to say how appreciative we are that you're taking the time to talk to us because your work is the work I think people really need to be doing. And it's personally affected my life. Um, so we so appreciate you being here first and foremost. 
Thank you so much. That's a very <laughs> lovely introduction. But I also like the way how you're obviously a bit giggly because you feel like we're, you're speaking. I am. I'm like, ah. We are a little, we're a little giddy for, for sure. We are. So That's Joe and I have been not only doing this type of work, we've recently gone down the rabbit hole with Dr. Joe Dispenza and doing a lot of like progressive workshops, online workshops. And we're going to really dive deep into your work specifically and what you do and all the fun aspects of neuroscience and how thoughts are so important when you have um, a goal like becoming a published author. But first, I really want to start talking about your latest book, The Source, which I literally read cover to cover in less than two days. Um, so yeah. can you tell our listeners a bit about that book and why you wrote it? Sure. Um, so it's called The Source, The Secrets of the Universe, The Science of the Brain. And obviously I'm a neuroscientist, so that's the science of the brain piece. But, you know, I was secretly, and I'll come to the reason why it was secretly, I was secretly interested in things like the laws of attraction and visualization and vision boards. So I kind of sat down one day and just thought, wouldn't it be interesting to see if I really look at what the 12 laws of attraction are, if I can explain them with cognitive science. And it was so easy to do so that I thought there's something here, but there's a huge backstory to this if you want to hear. Yes, yes, please. Yeah. Um, so in 2017, I became the neuroscientist in residence at this really smart hotel in London, a five-star hotel. And I didn't live there, but I, you know, I had, um, I spent a lot of time there and it got a lot of press coverage. So actually Penguin Random House approached me after seeing um, one of the things in the newspapers. Mm -hmm. And so I invited him to the hotel to have a brain power lunch. <clears throat> and he said to me, we have really good books on exercise, mindfulness, diet. And we think as a neuroscientist that you could write one that brings all of those things together. And so I said, I could do that, but I have this other idea about the laws of attraction and vision boards and the science behind that. And he later said to me, I could have got the pen and the contract out right there and then. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, and the reason that I wrote it <clears throat> is because um, Baroness Professor Susan Greenfield, who's a neuroscientist that's written loads of popular neuroscience books and was my tutor when I was at Oxford. She, I, I said to her years before, everybody's saying I should write this book about neuroscience and leadership. What do you think? And she said, one day you will wake up and there will be a book that you have no choice but to write. Yes. Wait until then. Yes. Yeah, but I wish I'd listened to her because I did go ahead and write Neuroscience for Leadership, but it was co-authored. And, you know, the difference between writing a book on your own and absolutely pouring your heart and soul into it is, is very clear for me that the fact that I was so passionate about writing the source, it mm -hmm. was still really hard work because I'm not a writer, but... Um, it the motivation was so so high and and on that point so I'm telling you the whole story I'm just like oh, basically it. blurting out the whole story um so then I manifested that it got translated into 36 languages <gasps> and I am not joking there was a vision board on the door of the head of international rights at Penguin with all these country names written on it and it became a thing in the whole building everybody would walk past and say oh, oh she's up to 24 she's up to 30 she's up to 36 and they couldn't believe what was happening um and I had no previous experience of this so I didn't even know what was a good number um wow 
Yeah. That's a good number. <laughs> trust me. 36. That sounds all right. <laughs> Aim high. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think it was, you know, every time I said, I asked them for something and they kind of said, you know, wait till this happens or that happens. I was like, I'm putting it on my vision board. And it just became a complete sort of in joke. Um, and also when the book first came out and it was a bestseller in the week that it came out, the, the guy who I'd had the brain power lunch with phoned me up and said, guess what number your book is on the, no, he said, he said, your book is at number 13 on the bestseller list. Guess what's at number 14? And I immediately said the secret. Yep. And it, oh my God. <laughs> Amazing. And he said, you couldn't make this up. I mean, I, I think wow. people like that who aren't into manifestation, they were just like, what's happening? And then months later, you know, it come out bestseller 36 languages I was doing my makeup in the mirror at home and I was having this conversation in my head and I was sort of saying to myself yeah that's you know that's tricky because I'm not a writer and I stopped I looked mm -hmm. at myself in the mirror and I spoke out loud and I was like Tara you've written three books mm -hmm. this one is a bestseller translated into 36 languages you are a writer you're yes. a published author yeah <laughs> absolutely and I thought the book was written beautifully and was so digestible I think that's so important with concepts like this and books like this is I really felt a connection to you and the words and it was very, very digestible, but also made me feel like I could take action. And it wasn't just, you know, these scientific concepts that I would never be able to apply to my life. Um, so I think you did a, a beautiful job. Well, and I also, I found it very interesting um, what, that you mentioned kind of the difference between the process of, of, of writing and putting out neuroscience for leadership um, and, and then putting out and then writing, writing and putting out the source, mm. um, because we talk a lot about path to path of writing and path to publishing. Can mm. you talk a little bit more about, you know, uh, you know, with neuroscience for leadership co-authored, um, you were kind of approached with this idea. And then the source you met was like the idea of you investing all of your time and energy. Can you talk about how those two processes were, were different or what you learned going from one to the other? That's a really great question. Um, so <clears throat> actually I'd written a book before Neuroscience for Leadership, which is called An Attitude for Acting. And mm -hmm. that came about, so the, the thing is with the first two, I kind of fell into it because I liked the people that I was going to be writing with and I would never let someone down. So knowing that I had a co-author, I knew that I would finish. And, and just to give context to this, my sort of trauma around writing comes from completing my PhD, which took such yeah. a long time mm, and was mm -hmm. so hard and was the only thing in the world I've ever wanted to give up. I actually went and told my parents and my friends, I'm wow. not doing this anymore. And I wow. had done three full years of research. I'd then gone back to medical school to finish. So I couldn't quite finish my write up. Um, and I, I finished writing up when I was a practicing physician in that first year in internal medicine where you, you know, just have no time to sleep or eat. Mm -hmm. um, and I love my PhD professor, but his style of managing people was kind of like, if you don't do this, then you'll be a complete failure for the rest of your life. And, wow. you know, I would receive these manuscripts just covered in, because this was 25 years ago, I'd received like, you know, like a three inch of manuscript covered in red pen, just saying oh. that everything was, you know, 
terrible. And so, you know, that really did traumatize me and I would have mm -hmm. never chosen to write a, a book. Um, but my friend who was a psychiatrist like me, she was in the park with her newborn baby and a guy turned to her and said, have you like had no sleep as well? And they got talking and he was at RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. And he said, I really want to find someone who understands theatre, but is like psychological and, um, you know, can sort of motivate my students. And so she introduced me to him. And he had this idea for a workshop called An Attitude, to Acting, Attitude for Acting. And I said, that sounds like a book title. And the next yeah. day, he'd done a synopsis and 12 chapter headings. Oh my goodness. And, yeah. Um, and I had always wanted to be an actress. So, you know, just hanging out with him, going to RADA, doing workshops with these, you know, young actors was, was so wonderful <laughs> that I kind of, it's a bit like childbirth. I think I'd forgotten how bad it was going yes. to be to actually write a book. <laughs> yep. Um, so we, you know, we, we totally co-wrote. <clears throat> we were a great partnership. Right towards the end, I was actually in physical pain from writing. I, I would wake oh, up wow. and my right shoulder would be locked. And, yeah. you know, it was stress as well. Mm -hmm. And that bit at the end where you get the corrections, honestly, it completely re-traumatized me. Oh, and, gosh. Yeah. yeah. And he actually finished off the last bit. And his wife was not really very happy with me. But he said to her, you don't understand. Like, this is the worst bit for her. And she's absolutely pulled her weight. And I'm just going to not put her through this. So he was lovely. And um, so then I said, I'm never going to write another book again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. Famous last words. There it is. <laughs> I know. I know wait because it comes up again um so then my friend paul who um is a, a professor of psychology um you know real mentor to me he said oh i've got this deal with um this publisher that i'm going to write 12 articles once a month and then in the end they'll just put them together and make it into a book so i thought well that sounds a bit easier uh, obviously he asked me to write it with him so sure. I thought, that, that doesn't sound too bad so I agreed to do that. It was that bad. I again mm. was in like physical pain oh. towards the end of it and wow. you know, really only the relationship that made me keep going. So, um, and I brought in a third um, co-author as well, who was great. Mm -hmm. So then I said, I'm never writing another book again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and, then, and then I told you how the source came about. So it was still hard, you know, I mean, I wrote, yeah. I worked full time, which included traveling to the States four times, going to Australia, um, which I shouldn't have done. That, that is something I've really learned. I got a generous advance, but it wasn't enough for me to stop working. Sure. So I just continued to work like as if I wasn't writing a book. And Ugh. yeah, it was so for a year, which was my first year of married life to my husband, I wrote that book every single weekend for for the wow. first year of our married life and wow but i didn't have the physical pain thing which oh, you know yeah and, yeah. and i think that because that you know the brain and the body in psychosomatic pain is very interesting i know that i get psychosomatic pain but mm -hmm. that doesn't you know it might mean you don't have a disease but it doesn't mean that your body's not trying to tell you something hmm. um completely and then once I finished writing, I was like, I feel like I've been pregnant for like 
15 months <laughs> and I still don't have my baby. Yes. Um, so, you know, there's a bit of a delay then. And the book came out on Valentine's Day and my stepson walked me to the bookstore and it was on quite a high shelf and he's oh. six foot four and I'm five foot two. So he <laughs> reached it down for me and then he looked at me and he said, oh, I'm going to cry. He said, all that hard work and now it's in the stores. Yes. Mm. Oh, yes. There's yeah. no greater feeling. No. And I wanted to ask you about that because writing was a little bit traumatic for you before. And when people come to us and they want to write a book or publish a book, we always start with what we call the big why, because mm. some people want to make money. Some people want to affect change. Some people want to land speaking gigs or gain notoriety or just have something for their friends and family to read. But what really was your big why in creating mm. this? And do you feel like you've accomplished that? Because this feels like it was a different experience for you versus, you know, the ones that came before it. Mm. Yeah, that's a really beautiful question that you ask um, the authors and for me. So I, I'm going to share because you two are just such fun and I just feel oh, like yay, saying share away. <laughs> things I don't, I don't yes. normally say, but yes. there was one point where I said to my husband, I was like, imagine that girl from The Exorcist, okay? <laughs> I said, if I don't make at least a quarter of a million out of this, it's not worth it. Yeah. Oh, completely. <laughs> completely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, <laughs> so and apart from that one low point, I would say that the why was um, quite a few things, actually. I'll start with the one that is perhaps the most personal, which, you know, I write in the book about my divorce from my mm -hmm. first husband. and And what I saw in that gap between husbands which was nine years was that there were so many super smart lovely intelligent beautiful women who'd had a bad relationship and then really lost their confidence and just yes. remained single and just felt yeah. like you know life was never going to be really good for them again and I wanted to do something about that I wanted to help women and men, but you know, for me, mm -hmm. I've specifically seen these characters like come up in my life to get that sense of hope and agency over their life back. Mm -hmm. Also, I was, you know, having gone through a big career change, I had got myself to like beyond where I could, you know, have believed or dreamed with my career. So I was working with, you know, a handful of hedge fund executives and doing some really big keynotes in, in nice places around the world. And I thought, but this is so unfair because everyone has a brain, everyone wants their life to be better. Why should it be just such a small number of people that can have access to what I've got to say? Yes. And I felt mm. that writing a book would, you know, basically make that available to anyone who can at least afford to buy a book or go to a library. Yeah. Um, so that was really important to me. Um, actually, my friend said something so beautiful the other day because I was telling her that I was teaching my class online at MIT and we were talking about technology and the future of work and everything. And then I said, you know, I love languages. I've learned five languages in my life. And I said, I wish I could speak every language. I can't wait till they make that gadget where yeah. you have like, a, yeah, <laughs> you have an AirPod and like you understand everybody, whatever they're saying in any language. And when you speak, they understand you. Yeah. And, and she said, but Tara, 
with 36 translations yes, you are speaking to me <laughs> yeah amazing yes. oh that's so amazing it was so amazing because she's a beautiful friend and she really gets me and she said it and I you know I got tears in my eyes I, mm. I thought wow I have I have spoken in 36 languages that's yeah yeah it's so incredible feeling oh, um so beautiful Thank so you. obviously I mean for our listeners and for the podcast, we are always anxious to discuss, you know, we love to discuss books and how books get published and how books get written. But we are also, Rhea and I, I'm, I'm sure that Rhea's chomping at the bit as much as I am. What you do and what you talk about in the source um, is so fascinating to us. And so I just, I, I know we're, there's some huge concepts out there, neuroscience, neuroplasticity, epigenetics, but we'd love to just talk about this. And I'm wondering if, we, if I can just ask you, how, how vital um, is it to understand and integrate these concepts into our daily lives, especially for people that are setting big goals and trying to live from a place of joy, gratitude, or abundance? How important is it for this to be kind of a daily practice? Wow, I'm getting so blown away by these questions. Can I ask you something yeah. first, Joe, before I answer? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, do you listen to the um, expanded podcasts or do the to be I have sent work? him so many, I, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I have, absolutely. I, I have to tell you, uh, Dr. Swart, that this is kind of, this has been in the last like year, year and a half since, uh, obviously since Rhea and I have been working together, she has been such an incredible emissary for all of this kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. I, I, I'm just cracking the surface of, of it all, but I am so ready to dive in. So absolutely, yeah. I just thought, especially as a guide, there was something so beautiful about the way you asked that question that I thought he must be doing this work. Um, I, so I was curious. Well, thanks, thanks to Rhea, I'm telling yeah. and, and, you. Know, and people like your professionals like yourself who are, who, uh, because, you know, and I, I don't want to like chew up vital uh, podcast time talking about, but I think like men in particular, at least for a large portion of our life, like cynicism and skepticism are such a defense to mm. feeling weak or, or feeling unimportant. And I think I acted from that place for so long. And of course you get trapped in that program and you don't even realize that you're doing it. Um, and I have to say that my receptivity um, to this kind of work now, and especially what, what Rhea has like kind of introduced me to, um, I, it surprises even myself at this point. The way Art, you should hear us, we give, you know, we do a lot of audio notes back and forth to each other. Mm, and like, mm. oh, you know, our, my programs are really rearing up today and I'm coming from a place of like love and gratitude. <laughs> I mean, the way we communicate with each other now, I'm like, is this real? Are we really talking to each other in this language? That it's really beautiful, but it's also such a daily practice. I cannot believe how much easier it is to kind of sit back and settle back into that stress, negativity, um, just kind of being in the comfort zone and going through the motions versus living from that place of, you know, openness and gratitude mm. and joy and, um, and creating a different future. So it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a daily, <laughs> daily practice for sure. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, what, what you both just said, but I think what Joe said about, you know, how men have had mm -hmm. to exist until quite recently is so important that the fact that you even prefaced it with, I don't want to waste the podcast time. I, I'm so glad you said that because I do believe that more men need to hear these things and consider these things as well. Um, mm. So I'm going to answer your question, Joe, by kind of echoing what Ria just said, which is that and you know the source is a combination of neuroscience and ancient philosophy and spirituality and yeah. and that's that's very much me because i was brought up in an indian hindu household in the uk mm -hmm. and then later i became a neuroscientist and so what i've seen in the two worst periods of my life so after my divorce and then this year of the global pandemic is that all of those things that i've cultivated over time through repetition and practice, they have helped me so much at the hardest times of my life. Now, post-divorce, I, I hadn't, I mean, I had a neuroscience PhD, but I wasn't using it in the way that I do now, like with my teaching and my writing and, you know, sort of it, it being much more a part of my life. I mean, I did yoga, but, you know, um, I wasn't as into the things that I'm in now, but, mm -hmm. but even then I'd been trained as a doctor. I understood how the brain worked. I remember thinking if I didn't recognize what is going on for me emotionally right now, I could see why people end up on a psychiatric ward after a, a bad breakup. Oh, beyond. So Joe went through a divorce not too long ago. I went through one as well from my first husband forever ago. So yeah, we're all aligned in, in that way. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It can be very dark. That's for sure. Yeah. It can be very dark, but it can also show you things about yourself that you never knew. So mm -hmm. what I learned about myself after my divorce was that I am so determined, like way more than I thought I was. Um, and interestingly, Tara is the Hindu goddess of strength. So mm -hmm. I kind of thought oh. my parents named me well. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> so and even like in this pandemic, they're there've been, you know, things like we've had a power cut, we've, I broke the fridge door and, you know, some of the switches stopped working and things like that. And my husband, who's, who's lovely, but he was like, oh, you know, that's it. Like, we're gonna have to go back to London or like, you know, we're gonna have to get a new fridge. I, I just sort of, in those instances, what I noticed about myself was that I knew where I'd kept all the candles and I just very calmly went and got them all out and lit them and said, we'll have a candlelight romantic dinner, it's fine. Hmm. Um, I love that. Yeah. And with the fridge door, I, I actually stupidly pulled the tray out and then tried to shut the fridge with, with the rails still hanging out. So, it, you know, he said, you've warped it, but it's never going to get back in. <laughs> and, and I sat there for so long until I did it. And I remember when he came back into the kitchen and the fridge door was closed, he said, did you do it? And there was definitely an element of, I don't know, like, like it, it, it was impossible, but also why would someone be so stubborn that they would sit there for that long and try to do it? But, but for me, it was kind of, you know, it symbolizes not giving up. It symbolizes, you know, resiliently moving forward, even if you feel like you're walking through treacle. So I feel like I had to do it because otherwise it kind of, you know, life has been so fragile in the last year that it feels like everything would then mm -hmm. fall apart if that thing went wrong. So, yes. You know, I want to ask, so, so many people are, they're familiar with the concept of the law of attraction or 
you know, of course the secret, but can you explain to people how, what you teach is different than the law of attraction? Mm -hmm. So the laws of attraction and what I found interesting is that there isn't even agreement over what all the laws are. So Mm -hmm. you had to do some research first to just align it down to some principles that most of the work agreed, most, you know, most people agree with. And, um, so it's until I wrote my book, it's always been explained by quantum science. So like frequencies and vibrations and the universe. And I always thought, you know, because, but they do say the law of attraction is about how your thoughts attract things into your life. So I thought, well, if it's your thoughts, shouldn't it be explained by cognitive science, like psychology and neuroscience? And that's why I spent that summer vacation researching, could I explain these with cognitive science? And, and also what it completely changes is going from feeling like life happens to you because it's all the universe and vibrations to I can use my brain yes. to make these things happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah, that, and, and you know, people who aren't sciencey at all, people that I know, said that the science in the book made them actually do things like like visualizations or a vision board, which I call an action board, um, that they'd heard about before and kind of liked the idea of, but they never actually acted on. Well, so let's, um, obviously we don't wanna, everybody should go, everybody should buy the source. Everybody who's listening should buy it and read it and do and get into the process. But let's say just for starters, say I'm someone brand new, or maybe even a little reluctant looking for a change, but, but I, yeah, but I want to, I want to change. Um, where might I start um, outside of, of course, buying the source and reading it? So you'd start at what, which I've written in the source is, you know, it starts with setting an intention. I feel like we live such busy lives that we never take time to step back and think, is my life panning out exactly as I always dreamed it would? Truly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So just taking some time to do that, you know, ideally a weekend where you do some self-care and you really deeply think about this and maybe, you know, if you want to make an action board, you start gathering some images, literal or metaphorical of what you want your life to look like. Mm -hmm. Um, But even if it's two hours, go for a walk and think, you know, is my life... What, what I would have always wanted it to be when I was a kid or like, you know, or has it sort of met my expectations? And if the answer to that is no in any way, then you need to go and buy the sauce and do all the exercises yeah, in it. Okay, there we go. Exactly right. You heard it. Well, Everyone. and I mean, I feel like we operate in our analytical minds like all day, every day. I feel like that's, I'm very aware <laughs> when I'm constantly doing that and acting from a place of stress, but knowing what you know and all of your work and all of your experience, I'm curious, how, how do you integrate this work into your daily life? And do you feel that you've kind of reached a place where you're not triggered as much, or you can really notice your own programs or, or, you know, or is it just as much work today as 20 years ago for you? I would love to, to learn a little bit more about that. It's been very interesting in the con context of the pandemic to see that under chronic stress there has been some regression at Mm -hmm. times Mm -hmm. let's put it that way so I'll just be really honest and say that you know I live in a 
really nice house with a garden and I love my husband and, you know, and we've both remained healthy. So there's so many things to be grateful for, but I have found it a bit harder to be grateful for those things than mm -hmm. I was pre pre pandemic um, because I still feel confined and not free and, you know, can't see my friends, can't hug my stepson, can't go on vacation. So I have definitely found myself sort of, you know, having those negative thoughts more than I had cultivated myself to do prior. Um, it's definitely easier than it was 20 years ago. Um, you know, basically since, since my divorce which, and my change of career, which was around 2007, 2008, I have consistently um, practiced mindful living. I do mindful eating. I pay full attention to people. I do really long digital detoxes. Oh, love that. I, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we are huge fans of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, and I, I avoid bad news. I mm -hmm. eat super healthy in a brain first kind of way. Um, I, I sleep a lot. I drink lots of water, you know, sort of so those basics. But then on and off in that time, I've done lots of journaling, um, tried different types of meditation. Um, you know, I learn a lot from the people that I coach because I guess I go on a journey with them, whether it's about resilience or emotional intelligence um, as well. There's two things to say about neuroplasticity. One is that your brain is shaped and molded by what it's experiencing all the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm quite careful about who I hang around with. I And like I said, I don't watch the news or read the newspapers. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. Because it's, yeah, I mean, you know... <laughs> Because a study showed that if you had no connection to New York, you didn't know anyone that suffered in 9-11, mm -hmm. but you repeatedly looked at images of the Twin Towers falling, you could get post-traumatic stress disorder. 100%, yep. Yeah. So, you know, I'm very careful about curating a good environment for my brain. You know, I sort of say like, if you had a dream home, you wouldn't put nasty furniture in it and, you know, have dead <laughs> plants in it. So, yeah. It's the same with your brain. You need to like treat it like your dream home. And then the other aspect of neuroplasticity is the more active aspect, which is if you put yourself through intense new learning, mm -hmm. then it makes your brain more plastic or flexible. And so I try to do one major neuroplasticity learning per year. So that's why I, you know, I've learned a few, quite a few languages. I'm currently teaching myself piano with the Floki app. Um, mm -hmm. Last year, in 2020, I wasn't going to do anything because I was so aware of the stress. So funnily enough, do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, people were like, I'm going to start a new brand. I'm oh, going to like yeah. learn. Oh, yeah. completely. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, JK Rowling basically said, these people should stop saying that because it's shaming the people who are just trying to survive. Mm -hmm. And I actually did an Instagram live to say neuroscience backs that up because you know, we're actually not going to have extra bandwidth if we're in a pandemic. And I did the opposite. I did the absolute minimum that I had to do for home and work for mm -hmm. the first three months of the pandemic. And I thought, okay, this year I won't take on a new learning. And then my husband is really good at tennis and I'm not. So he wanted me to buy him one of those tennis ball machines that throws the ball at you. <laughs> and um, I left it too late and they all sold out by the time, you know, the, the weather was better. So I said to him, okay, like, I'll play tennis with you, but you're so much better than me. That will have to be like tennis lessons. Like I can't play to your standard. 
So basically I got free tennis lessons last summer. So I, I did get a <laughs> neuroplasticity learning, but kind of by accident. That's amazing. Amazing. Well, and I think this is, I, I love that you said that about, you know, the pandemic. I think it, I, and I'm curious how you troubleshot your way through that. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people out there who might be not only reluctant, but um, you know, I've, I've been there either too skeptical or too lazy to really um, commit to the practice. But when, if you're, if you're kind of in the practice or starting the practice, these practices, what, what happens when life around you seems to maybe in some way inhibit you from from successfully doing that? How do you, how can you troubleshoot your way through returning right back to old negative programs mm -hmm. when the life around, like the world around you seems to be falling apart? Yeah, I think my best learning of around that was when I did excessive travel and was jet lagged a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so basically I would just always fall off my exercise schedule because I, you know, went to New York and then I came back and I couldn't get out of bed for five days or whatever it was. Um, so then I'd be like, oh, you know, I was doing so well before I went on the trip and now I haven't done any exercise for two weeks or something and I don't yeah. feel like doing it. Um, so two things. One is I learned not to waste any time beating myself up about the fact that I haven't done what I was doing and just yeah. to start again. Mm. Um, and then funnily enough, years later, like quite recently, I was looking at this research about neurogenesis, which is um, the, the growth of embryonic nerve cells into fully formed neurons. And I learned that if you consistently do aerobic exercise, then the turnover of these baby neurons growing into adult neurons is about 12 or 13% in your brain. If you stop doing exercise and you start again, the turnover can go up to 30%. So I was like, well, that's my excuse for like- Oh my God, that is great news. <laughs> um, so, you know how, you know, I with my coaching work, I always say, if my client has a problem, I go and do the neuroscience research to find the solution. Or if there's a new exciting piece of neuroscience research, like for example, the Nobel Science Prize winning research about the glymphatic system that cleans your brain overnight, mm -hmm. then I will produce some, you know, talks or um, podcasts about, about that new research. So it works both ways around. So, you know, I either know something from neuroscience and try to incorporate it into my life, or I find something out and then I use it as a great excuse for not doing the things I'm not doing. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt this episode, but we wanted to talk about this brand new service that we have called the Fiction Fundamentals Kit. Now, the reason we created this brand new product is because I hate outlining so much. And as a, as a fiction writer, I feel like that's the only way that you can really quote unquote plot out your book. But in order to sell a book, there is so much more that you need to be aware of, which is what we have done in this Fiction Fundamentals we, You may have heard us talking about this on a previous episode. We'll actually link to it in the show notes. We went through the whole template. This is an approach that we have developed taking our proven proprietary nonfiction book proposal methodology, and we've retrofitted it to the process of building 
a well-thought-out novel from concept to launch. So whether you're coming to us and you have a first draft or whether you just have the kernel of an idea, the Fiction Fundamentals Kit is literally going to propel you through every step that you have to consider, not only from a plotting, outlining, writing process standpoint, but also we're talking a, a complete content strategy to sell and promote the book as Absolutely. well. And this applies whether you're self-publishing, hybrid publishing, or traditional publishing. So if you want to learn more about this, go to rightwayco.com backslash fiction dash fundamentals dash kit. And if you are one of the first 10 to sign up this week, you will receive 10% off. So head on over to the site, fill out the handy little form, and let us revolutionize your fiction writing process. Boom. And now back to the episode. But basically, my my ultimate statement around all of this is, of all of these things that we're meant to be doing, the physical health things, the, you know, the mental, emotional, spiritual development things, try to do them all as much as you can, but mm-hmm. don't stress about it because it's the stress that will kill you in the oh. end. Mm-hmm. Well, there it is. <laughs> well, and I think sometimes for people, and I found myself doing this during the pandemic, like my husband and I, you know, adopted a breathing practice and a meditation practice. And I started, I've been a really hardcore, like, I was a gymnast and a boxer and a CrossFitter and all those things. And I I decided I wanted to be gentle to my body and getting Mm. more into yoga and Pilates. But I found myself almost approaching those in the beginning, like a checklist, like, oh, Mm. I've done my breathing check. I've done my meditation check. And Mm. then feeling bad if I felt rushed or couldn't get through it, or I wasn't really present. And for me, I think Joe and I have really talked about this a lot. The biggest thing in our day-to-day lives is staying present and not just going on autopilot for, for everything. And that was one of the questions that I had, you know, do you, do you have a go-to exercise or a body scan or something that people can do to get themselves fully present, whether it's in a state of creation or just being with themselves? Like, is there any kind of go-to thing that that you do on a regular basis? Yeah, I have the best one. You're going to love this. <gasps> oh. um, and please promise me that you'll both do it and then you'll um, uh, I swear me to you. <laughs> We're good at homework. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, a body scan is great. Um, and I actually did a little meditation series on my IGTV and there's a body scan there if anybody wants to go and, and you know, find one to follow. Oh, great. great. But I have uh, something more than that is what I call taking care of the animal. And so either in the shower or if I'm moisturizing my body, um, I basically go through every part of my body. So let's say I start with my feet, I'll say, Thank you, feet, for for walking me around all day. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, skin, for protecting me from outside pathogens. Thank you, hair, for looking so shiny and lovely, even <laughs> though it has not been looking shiny and lovely <laughs> in the pandemic. <laughs> um, um, you know, so I go I go over the whole exterior of my body, thanking each part of my body for what it does. Um, And then I go internal and I thank my brain, I thank my lungs, I thank my guts, I thank my blood. Um, And I can't, I mean, when I do that, I don't actually do it enough, I should do it more, I did it the other day. 
afterwards I look in the mirror and I'm like I don't need a scrap of makeup today I just you know I feel amazing exactly oh my god I love that that's beautiful I am totally (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna do that right after this recording I'm telling you guys that right now oh I thought you were going to say, I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to do that <laughs> do as we right speak now. on the mic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so amazing. And I think this is super complex stuff at, at one level. And also it's the it very is. thing innate. It's the very yeah. thing we should be. Why wouldn't we thank our, thank mm-hmm. our body, but we've been conditioned to like look in the mirror and be like, well, shouldn't have had that yeah. slice of pizza last night. <laughs> really, completely. Um, totally. It's um, uh, amazing. If you think about it, that practice is a gratitude practice. It's yes. positive affirmations. Yeah. And by touching your own skin, you're helping to release more of the bonding hormone oxytocin. That is particularly helpful for people who've been locked up alone for the last year. Oh, you know, and that's so funny. I was, my husband and I were talking about that and I was like, wow, you know, we always outsource when it comes to intimacy or connection, like that kind of connection. And I'm like, you know, we need to do that with ourselves. And I mean, when's the last time? Yeah. You stroked your own arm or appreciated your thighs and, Mm. and you didn't look for that outside validation instead really creating that intimate relationship with yourself. And that doesn't have to necessarily mean just a sexual one, but an actual true relationship with yourself. Um, I'm really trying to teach my daughter that right now she's eight and, you know, is in that stage of becoming aware of how she, how she looks in clothes and her hair and, you know, Mm. all of those things and really talking about that relationship to self. And I wish, I don't know, I wish we, we took more time to do that. Mm. I actually think, you know, and I'm saying this like professionally as a doctor, that it's important to say that that could, you know, there's also benefit to that working sexually in terms of validating yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Oh, I'm a huge proponent of that. (laughs) You gotta have that relationship with yourself. I think it is so, you know, that's something I've always said to my husband, like, it's not your responsibility to, to satisfy me that way. Like, I, I mean, that comes first from me. And I think that that, again, that relationship, we need to, to cultivate that, um, on all levels. Um, I just, can I just pick up on something that you mentioned, but not gone into, which is, you know, we've all said like, the natural default is to look in the mirror and say, shouldn't have had that slice of pizza. I um, literally looked in the mirror one day and obviously I'm just like every other human, very good at picking out everything that's wrong. And I was thinking, you know, talk a lot about the steroid hormone cortisol, which is increased Mm -hmm. in stress and how one of the things it does is it lays down extra fat in your abdominal cells because the brain tries to protect you from potential starvation. This is a very old wiring, you know, from, from evolution. And I've definitely put on a bit of weight, um, particularly around the middle. And I looked in the mirror and for, for once, for the first time in a really long time, instead of thinking, oh my God, I put on weight around my middle. I thought, this is what my body is doing to survive. Exactly. exactly. Is incredible. Oh my gosh. Joe and I have talked about that because we're like, yes. well, couldn't lose weight if I tried right now because <laughs> of the stress response and being so kind you know, to ourselves, I think is, is absolutely critical right now, instead of beating ourselves up. Yeah. I think that, I think that's so amazing and important. And, uh, you know, not to totally switch gears out here, uh, here, but 
you know, in, in discussing how our internal world makes a difference in the outer world, you know, we, I'm, I'm curious how we take some of the stuff that we're talking about here and for our listeners out there who, you know, many of them are after a book deal or they want to see their work out in the world. They want to know what makes a difference. Um, do you, how do you, do we think there's a way to move into this future, to practice this future so that it becomes a reality kind of in the same way of observing and forgiving and allowing? Um, do we think we can a- a- apply that to moving into a future that we want to see? Um, I think I've understood your question correctly, so, but let me know if this answers it. So another one of the things that I do is, and I say I do it intuitively, but obviously it's based on everything that I know, you know, and my formal knowledge of, of how the brain works is I massively celebrate successes. Oh, <laughs> love that. Yeah. Which that's another thing many people are afraid yeah, to we do, skip right? Yeah, over it. yeah, we, we skip, skip over it. it. Yeah. But to be, you know, what I spent a large part of my life doing was always being so intent on the next thing that I never stopped to acknowledge that I'd achieved so many of the things that I said I wanted to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to use an example from someone else just because it's a really good one. Um, mine are a bit more sort of, you know, not as obvious as this one, which is um, one of my colleagues at MIT, a tenured professor at MIT, had this sort of legacy programming about not being heard, not having a voice. Mm-hmm. And so in, you know, in a, a group, she said, I just, you know, I just want to feel that I have a voice. And people were like, you're an MIT professor. You have a voice. <laughs> um, and, you know, and, and sort of, so I've had moments like that where I'm like, I just want to be like this or that or this or that to happen. And, and then sometimes I think that's happened. Um, yeah. yeah. So as well as gratitude lists, I actually write down accomplishment lists and I keep a list of compliments that people have given me. Um, I have a really good one at the moment. My, my latest one, I think, is the best one I've ever received, which I'll share with you in a minute. Oh, thank so, you. Okay, good. All right. But in terms of manifesting, it's cumulative. You know, and although there are periods where it feels like nothing's happening, you need to hold on to the memory of the good times to get you through that, that dark period. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'll continually always say to my husband, you're not going to believe what's just happened. And then I'll say, you know, I said I wanted to do blah, blah, blah. Well, I just got an email from this person and now I'm going to do that. And, and once I start speaking it out more, yes, it's, yep. it's like more of these things like, you know, sort of come in and, and I, I almost feel like saying, be careful what you wish for, because once you really understand manifestation from a neuroscience point of view, it's not like, you know, I mean, it's not, witchcraft so it's not literally bringing in everything that you everything that you want like immediately but when it works you can really see how it works and that how that abundant energy that it gives you makes you achieve more and more and more but then there are absolutely times where I feel a bit demotivated and nothing happens and mm-hmm. um, I've become more okay with that as well now so I think you know even if you get I don't know like an article online in Fast Company or Forbes or something, like super celebrate that, you know, um, tell people about it, kind of, you know, put a something that reminds you about that on your screensaver or, you know, sort of really keep priming your brain with all the positive things that have happened that are related to that bigger goal that you, that you want. And don't Love compare it. yourself to others. I mean, I think that's where we diminish it. It's like, oh, well, 
so-and-so has accomplished so much, like my little thing doesn't even matter. Or yeah, we're, we're constantly thinking about the next accomplishment. And I mean, I think that's one of the, the best ways to call things in, like you were saying is, is really celebrating. And I've, I mean, I'm a huge, I'm a specific manifester actually. And I mean, I, when I get in the, the zone or the flow, like I'll think about something and the doorbell will ring. And then like, it's right there <laughs> in <laughs> yeah, five minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so amazing. And it's not That's really, I'm, I, I'm not a materialistic, like I don't care about things or anything like that, but it's funny that I can, I can put myself in that state and it's just fun. I mean, it's, this is such a fun, fun practice. So, um, and speaking of which, because you have so much fun writing books, haha. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you have another one in the works or I know that you're, you have several programs you're launching. Um, isn't that correct? Or if you want to talk about either of those, anything that you have coming up? I can't believe you even asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you're, you know, you're pregnant or you get married, like, oh, when are you having a baby or when are you having another baby? Yeah. When's your so next? When's it. your next? Yeah. I'm, de I'm definitely not writing another book. Uh, <laughs> good for you. No, that's, I think that's amazing. I mean, the source, this is an evergreen product. This will last yeah. forever. It's, it's going to be relevant forever. So I think that's amazing. Yeah. I also like, you know, I really like to change things up. So, you, you know, you'll have seen with my career that I was a mm -hmm. physician. I, well, I was a medical student, neuroscientist, physician, coach, speaker, um, you know, I'm an ambassador for some beauty brands. I'm a trustee for a charity. I like to, you know, I like change. Um, mm -hmm. and, that, and that's one of the reasons that this year has been quite hard because I haven't, you know, we've got, had less mental stimulation than ever. Yeah. So I did cre create and film my entire six week online program with MIT during lockdown in 2020. Awesome. Um, and that just launched in, on February 23rd and it will run five times a year. Um, and it's self-paced so people can do it you know at their own pace um, and I have well you're hearing it here first I have oh. I have made a decision to wind down my corporate work and move more into the area of spirituality oh I love that that is so exciting <laughs> thank you That's um, yeah it's so it's so exciting and since I've made that decision and really made it because I've probably been toying with it for a couple of years um you know the few people that I've got long-term commitments with in work who I've told have just been so lovely and that's really been so validating um and some amazing things have just fallen into my life since I made that decision so mm -hmm. you know that's not a coincidence that's me meaning it has right. definite and making space has definitely brought good things into my life oh, that's so exciting that's thank you I also, I yeah. have to say, I love it that you said you love change. I, oh, I love that so much. I mean, and it, I, which makes sense. I, I understand it. Um, but I also want to, want to love change in, in all it's no matter what, no matter when, whether I initiated or, or not. So I just really appreciate that you said that. I, I love it. Me too. Well, I really want you to know that that, that was not natural for me. So I'm the kind of person that you know, I free, I mean, if somebody turned up on a pre-pandemic, somebody, if a friend just dropped around unannounced, I would like freak out. So I, <laughs> I like everything to be planned. You know, I don't like it. I d you know, even if somebody changes a call time, I'll probably get like borderline irritated. Yep, completely. But, yeah. 
<laughs> and you know, I, I was going to stay in, in, in medicine for the rest of my life, but right. I think the divorce really kicked me out of that. It made me realize that's not possible. Yeah. You cannot keep things the same and you will suffer if you try to keep things the same. Um, yeah, really. And also from an intellectual stimulation point of view, I, I just, you know, I'm curious. I like to learn, learn different things. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I would love a change to be thrust upon me that mm -hmm. I don't want, but right. I, you know, I try to bring change into my life to make myself better at that. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Okay. We're going to end with what we love to call our little lightning round, just some fun questions, no pressure, but just kind of saying whatever comes to your mind. Um, no time limit, no rush, no, nothing like that. But um, so I'm going to kick it off, but can you tell us the best moment as a published author that you've had? Uh, um, well, it's a continuation. I was going to say going to the bookstore with my stepson yeah. on Valentine's uh. Day, but it's a continuation of that, which is that he was with a female friend of his and her boyfriend. And she said to him, what did you do on Valentine's Day? And he said, well, you know, Tara's book came out. So I, I, I went to the shops with her. And, um, and then as they were talking, suddenly this boyfriend said, what, your stepmom wrote the source? <laughs> yes! <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, and then I've got, I've got to tell you another one because it was so sweet. I was standing at the bus stop outside my house. I saw this really glamorous woman walking down the road. So I kind of, you know, I noticed her. And just as she went past me, she, almost, she went out of my field of vision and then she sort of came back and I thought, oh, she's going to ask me for directions or which bus goes where or something. And she said... Um, excuse me, are you Tara Swart? I love it. I love that you were in the mindset of like, you thought someone was going to ask you for directions. Exactly. But, yeah. uh, that's great. That's great. Um, okay. Next question. Uh, most important thing you've learned on your path or paths to publication. Oh, um, most important thing I've learned. I mean, I Don't think write it's, another book. it's, yeah. <laughs> Probably stop saying that because it's never been, <laughs> right. yeah. Um, no, I think the enthusiasm that was injected into the publishers mm -hmm. by my manifesting these translations was, I think it says a lot about the impact that you can have on people that then has a knock on impact on outcomes in your real life. Because, you know, once on publication day, I had 24 translations already. It's amazing. So once they had that, they had nothing to lose by going to every other country that they possibly could and saying, yeah, you want to buy this, you know, so it's, it's, it's like what we were talking about before, like the accumulation of manifestation. So that, and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't have known that because I never even knew anything about international rights before this happened. So I think, and, and actually I would say at the beginning, I, they probably thought I was a bit of a pain in the you know what, because <laughs> I was constantly emailing saying, have you tried this country? Have you tried that country? Oh, What's the that. update on the countries? Ugh. So, you know, I wasn't sitting on the couch waiting for the universe to throw those into my lap. I right. was doing something right. every day to make that happen. Exactly. Which is huge. And we talk a lot about that with authors in general and just going after what you want and asking questions and empowering yourself because it can be a very kind of confusing, removed process as an author. So I think that's amazing. Um, what is your favorite thing to do when you're not working? 
cuddle my husband. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, What is one thing you wish all writers knew? How amazing their brain is. Mm. Oh, yes. I need that on a (laughs) t-shirt. What do you want your legacy to be? Um, I think this, this latest pivot that I've mentioned to you about spirituality is that there's a lot out, people are desperate. The world is not in a good place. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot that could come from grounded spirituality. I worry that there's a lot of charlatans out there talking about mental health and spirituality. And I'd like to contribute something really rigorous and grounded in that space. Love it. How do you stay in the rewired mind? Like constantly learning and, and, you know, bringing new experiences into my life. Travel is a good one. Eating, you know, foods you've never eaten before. Just to be honest, everything I do is about, is, is centered around keeping my brain rewiring all the time. Mm. Coffee or tea? Tea. Tea. I, I, I knew it. I was like, that's a dumb question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Really? Ooh. Love it. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I, I love, I love novels. I love historical novels. Um, I do have to read for work, obviously, but I always alternate a workbook with a, a, a pleasure book, which for me oh, is a novel. It. Yeah. Um, what's the best book you read in 2020? Oh, um, I mean, I finished the untethered soul at the beginning Mm, of 2020 mm -hmm. and that was, that was a great preparation for the pandemic, I have to say, but (laughs) I read, um, a book that I just felt like it was so beautiful that it was like a dream was painting as a pastime by Winston Churchill. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. 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 All right. That's beautiful. All right. Um, what types of writing would you like to see more of in the world? Science fiction. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. And lastly, one author everyone should read. Oh, um, I feel like I'm, I'm probably going to f- focus this too much on one book, but. Oh, that's so difficult. There are so many good <laughs> it authors. Is. Out I there. know. Yeah. I know. It's really tough. Um, okay. I'll, I'll probably, this is like not that original an answer, but I'll say Paolo Coelho. Oh, yeah. Dr. Swart, we can't thank you enough for being oh. here. Um, we will include links to all of your stuff in the show notes, but how can people work with you or find, um, find out more about the work that you do? Uh, thank you. I'm most interactive on Instagram, Dr. Tara Swart, um, mm-hmm. but I'm also on Clubhouse and the Brain Care Club, on TikTok, which I'm new to, and Twitter. Um, I have a website, taraswart.com, but, uh, and, and you've you know already talked about the book. Great. And um, can Rhea and I work with you one-on-one forever? Yes. <laughs> Do you know, uh, honestly, I was, I was just going to say, this has been the most fun podcast ever. Oh, um, oh, yay! I was at that... least going to say, can we do a part two? Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. you, anytime. Absolutely. Um, Amazing. Thank, thank you so, so much. much. We thank so you. Thank you both. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Right Way Podcast. 
don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment, and help us continue to deliver the content you want and need. And for more information about RightWay, visit rightwayco.com to get more info on all our editorial and developmental services, and sign up for our weekly newsletter, where we'll be sharing exclusive content, access to digital courses, and offering proprietary resources for aspiring and established writers. 